3.12, it says, not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, I know we hit some of this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and, uh, verse, starting with verse 10 and stuff. But this past week, uh, I was able to get away with my family. We went up to Angel's Camp in the mountains in the snow and stuff. We had a lot of fun. But I couldn't get off this word, perfect. The word goal, you know, the, the, this, this perfection. Or, do we have any perfectionists here? I am the only perfectionist. Okay, we got several perfectionists here. Uh, yeah, my son, I know, I know. I'm trying to ignore that part. Uh, I think he got that from me. You know, I kind of have these tendencies that drive my wife nuts, and I'm glad she's not in here this morning so I can talk about No, I'm joking. But, um, you know, I'm a, I can be a perfectionist on one thing, but on another thing I can completely 100% care less on. And it drives my wife just absolutely nuts because she doesn't know which one I'm going to be on which thing, you know? Now, when we get to heaven, we will become perfect. But on earth, we're not perfect. Now, we strive for the perfection of Christ. And a lot of times, we, we want to head in that direction, don't we? We want to go that way. We kind of push ourselves on that. So do you know a perfectionist? I mean, for those that didn't raise their hand, look around with those that did. You know what I'm saying? A drive to get things just perfect. Staying up late at night, I used to do this, and just get something right, working on a, a project or a paper, and, and, or I'm doing it for, you know, I worked for a, a church in the Bay Area. It was a church that was just going bonkers numbers-wise, and I was in charge of a lot of different areas, and I would, I would try to get things just perfect because I wanted to please the pastor. It can be very tough to be a perfectionist. It can be very tough to live with a perfectionist. It can be very tough to work for a perfectionist. Like I said, I have some of these tendencies, and I still do. But I've noticed over the years... The busier that I get, the more mistakes I will make along the way. And I hate mistakes, especially when I'm trying to get something just right. Does anybody else feel like this? See, I'm okay with mistakes that just happen. But I'm not okay with mistakes that can be prevented. And that's where I get hard on myself. I used to work at a, at a Christian college up in the Bay Area, and it was the beginning of the school year. All these students were coming, up, uh, coming in, and I met this young man named Justin, uh, Von Spreckelson, okay? And Justin and I became really good friends. In fact, uh, when I left the college and went back into church ministry, he, he came and lived with me for a summer, and he was my, my youth intern uh, for the summer. Uh, but we had just met, and he came from nowhere in Nebraska. I'm talking about out in the middle of nowhere, okay? And, uh, but I could just tell he was a good kid. First time in a big city. I mean, I mean, he'd been to Omaha, of course, but, you know, it's Omaha, if you've ever been there. And he's in the Bay Area, and he wanted to go explore. I mean, he's never gone to a mall like they have up in the Bay Area, okay? Um, and he wanted to experience it, okay? So he asked if he could borrow my truck. I had this little truck, and, and I'm like, sure. You know, he's a good kid. So he got in a little fender bender accident. Okay. It was an accident. It's a truck. 
He came back, and, and I saw him out there where I parked, and he was kind of working on the truck, and he was polishing it all. I mean, he felt so bad, and he was trying to make it look better, you know, and all that kind of stuff, because he expected to come to me and for me to just explode on him, right? How dare, I can't believe how you let you do that, you know, and all that kind of stuff. He just expected that, but my reaction was, that's no big deal. It was a mistake. It was, a, it was a, I mean, not very, very little damage whatsoever. But compare that to preventable mistakes. Those are the ones that I just can't stand. I had one rule when I worked at the college, working with the students. It was don't be an idiot. Okay? If you're not an idiot, you pretty much don't make a lot of those mistakes that are preventable. You know what I'm saying? Or is we all a bunch of idiots? Okay, we are idiots. Okay, I get that. But Paul was one of these driven guys. He had this perfectionism in him. And one quality of all you know, perfectionists is they're always driven. As a young man, Paul stood up for his beliefs, even to the point where he went out and killed Christians. He was a Jew. How dare they you know, go against his religion? And from a, a young age... Paul was like that. I can relate to that. I wanted to be good at everything. I had a father that would push me to be good at whatever I was involved with. He didn't care what I was involved with. Just be good at it. Put your time and effort and energy into it. So I was always focusing on my mistakes. If you want to be really good, what do you do? You focus on your mistakes so you can get better, right? But that can be very bad. You can be perfect in everything, but if you're always concentrating on that one little thing that you do wrong, it takes you down. You know, my youth pastor took me to play racquetball once, and we were playing racquetball, and I was trying so hard, and I just kept messing up, and he was just like, Alan, relax. And as soon as I started relaxing a little bit, I started playing better. Now, the Super Bowl was last weekend. We have a couple happy people. Bob Nelson. We have a couple of not-so-happy people. I won't name those people. But imagine you're on the Chiefs team. Imagine you just won the Super Bowl, but you made a mistake in that game. And all you did was concentrate on the mistake that you made. Even though you just won the biggest prize in football, talking about idiots, but anyway, I'm, you know, football players, but anyway, you've just won the, the big prize, yet you're concentrating on the mistake that you made. That's perfectionism. That's where your focus is. But for some of us, this is our spiritual life. It doesn't matter how great we're doing. It doesn't matter if we're running the race well or winning the race. It doesn't matter if we're going along with Jesus It doesn't matter that we're not sitting on the bench. We start to focus on what we're doing wrong in our Christian walk. And that is all we can focus on. And this is where perfectionism hurts us and hurts what the Lord is trying to do. We agonize about our mistakes, and the Apostle Paul tells us, you know what? I used to be like that. But in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this, 
already arrived. You know, I didn't pull, uh, you want to pull up, uh, let's see. There we go. Sorry, guys, I didn't get it out. Not that I've already attained all this, I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. He says that even though I'm messing up, even though I have dropped the ball, even though I totally missed the shot, I totally blew it, I'm still on the winning team. He blew it by going out and killing Christians. He did not understand God's heart, yet God turned him around, and he's on the winning team now. And he's saying, I'm still pressing on. I'm still going forward. I press on, and I forget the mistakes I've had in my past. And then he goes on and says, well, one thing I've noticed about perfectionism is they live in a world of, I wish I would have, I wish I could have, or I should have. They live in a world of going, man, if I'd only done this one thing, this one thing. Paul is saying, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Paul is telling us we have to move forward. We have to move on. And I went over this quite a bit this last week in my head. And, and, and you know, we, we, sometimes we focus on our weaknesses so much, but we need to forget about our weaknesses and focus on the good and moving forward. I've always said this many times. Uh, many people in church will get stuck on one issue. They'll get stuck on that one issue, and they can never move forward. They can never move past because that one issue just hangs over their head, and it just sticks them right there. They are stuck in the mud. Moving forward is so good for so many parts of our lives, especially marriage, right? I was talking to a couple last weekend about their upcoming marriage, and they asked me what the biggest piece of advice I had for them. I'm like, 30 years, how do I condense that down? You know, do I just tell him to shut up? You know, is that, you know, is that helpful? How do I condense it down? And my answer was this, you have to be for each other. You have to be for each other. That no matter what happens, you have the best interests of your spouse, and you never get to a point where you're against each other, but for each other. And this helps in all the areas. If we focus on our weakness, the areas where we make mistakes, or our spouse's mistakes, or our friend's mistakes, we get stuck right there and never move forward. Now, some of us work in a hostile environment as Christians where others are just waiting to see your mistakes. Have you ever been in that environment where they're sitting there going, oh, man, I I know they're a Christian. And you're thinking, oh, I messed up here. What are they going to say about Christians now? You know what they're going to say now, right? Man, they know I'm a Christian, and they're just waiting for you to mess up. They're just waiting. So they can point and say, that's why I'm not a Christian. Mm, That's hard. Some of us feel like our lives are being scrutinized by those who don't believe in Jesus, and it paralyzes us into doing nothing. We don't witness Because no matter what they do, they see us as hypocritical. And if you feel that way, Paul's word here is for you. 
We feel like sometimes the burden of representing Jesus is all on our shoulders, completely on our shoulders. And if we're not perfect, then then we can't witness, we can't talk about Christ, and that's never a good thing. Because when we stop talking about what God is doing in our lives, because they can see our mistakes, they can see how we act. If this is you, I want you to write down a couple of things. First of all, reality is nobody bats a thousand, right? No one does. I mean, the most famous batter in baseball, you know, uh, Babe Ruth, he struck out more times than he hit home runs. Yet, we put him up as like the greatest, right? Nobody bats a thousand. No one does. You're going to make mistakes. And non-Christians will recognize that, and they will try to use it against you. But how you react is just important for when you make mistakes. Do you own up to it? Or do you go, oh, no big deal. Everybody ignore that. Everybody ignore that. Or do you own up to it and say, man, I, I really messed up there, and I shouldn't have done that. You see, what I'm saying is, I don't want you to use it as an excuse. We need to do our best. But remember, it is the Holy Spirit that draws people toward him. It's, it, it's the Lord's job. He uses us in that process, but ultimately it's God that's drawing them. You know, the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of their lives and, and says something that you need to be searching for, something that I have, and this person is going to show it to you. And the Lord brings us into the situation and toward them. Perfection or imperfection, it doesn't matter because God still uses us and he wants to use us. So we need to take the pressure off ourselves. One thing I've noticed about perfectionism is that it prevents ministry. You know, at my house, if you uh, don't ever look at my backyard, it's a mess right now. But if you come over to my house and you see the shed on, on the side of my house, um, uh, I, my, myself and um, Lisa's brother came out and we built the shed. You come out and look at it and go, oh, I really like how that design or this or that. And, but I look at it and I go, man, I made that mistake. I made that mistake. Oh, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I would have done this. You see where that comes in? I can sit there and think about um, all the different things that are supposed to be used in the shed, the material that's supposed to be used for the shed, and it took me longer to think about it than it did to actually build the shed. I thought about this shed project for months. And it's just like if you just get off the couch and go out and start it, it would go a lot quicker. But I wanted it to be perfect. Perfectionism prevents ministry. Equate that to our Christian walk. Well, I can't serve in that ministry because, I mean, look at me. I have this mistake in my life. I have that mistake in my life. Yeah, I once had a, uh, when I ran a junior high uh, youth group, had a young lady that came to me and, and said, I, I just have a burden for these young kids, and I want to be around them, and I want to, to uh, have God use me, but I moved in with my boyfriend and got pregnant and, and had a child out of wedlock, and I don't think that's a good influence around the kids. And I said, no, 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 that's the perfect influence that you need because you've turned your life around since. You've changed your direction so now you can come in and say, look, 
I did it this way, that was a mistake. And let me tell you why. And let me help you prevent from doing that yourself and go this direction. You see, God can use our mistakes that we have in our life. We can't use that as an excuse. The Lord is saying, you know what? Just get off the couch and be ready. Just get out there. And I'm willing to use you. Secondly, the mark of a true believer is not perfectionism anyway. You know the bumper sticker that says, please be, uh, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. I need a big sign like that on the back of my car. Not a little bumper sticker. I need a big one, you know? People need to be able to see that. We're just the rough draft before we get to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says people will, will know you because you're perfect, right? No, no, uh-uh. He says they will know you because of your love. That's how they will know you. Not your perfectionism, but the love that you have for others. The scriptures are clear. It is simple. Love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He says, do these two things, these two sentences. Now, do these things supersede the biblical law that, that God put down in the Old Testament? In one sense, yes. In another sense, totally not. You know why? Because if we love the Lord your God with all, love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and we love our neighbors as ourselves, then all the laws are fulfilled. If we can accomplish that, if we can be perfect in that, then the Old Testament law would be fulfilled. But we are sinners, every one of us. I did a funeral for a young man up in, in uh, Modesto yesterday. And I was talking with his mom, sweet older lady. And I tell you, she was just like going, you know what? He made a lot of mistakes in this world, but he loved God. That's just like every one of us. We make mistakes. Sometimes those are huge mistakes, and sometimes those are little mistakes. But if we love God and ask God for forgiveness, man, the best representation of Jesus is when we love each other. That's the best thing. I can think some of the best witnessing times in, in life is when we make mistakes. What? Yeah, when we make mistakes. Because people get to see what we do with those mistakes. I mean, do we lift up the carpet and sweep it underneath the carpet and put the carpet down? Oh, that, no one ever saw that. They don't see, you know, the carpet's like two foot high now. Do we admit the mistake that we make? Do we own up to it? Do we take our lumps and move on? Man, I really had messed up on that one. I need forgiveness from you. I need forgiveness from the Lord. What do we do with those? How do we try to correct our mistakes? This is some of the best witnessing times that we can ever have when we don't cover them up, but by being real. What, what historical figures in the Bible do we relate, we relate to the most? Think about this. Oh, we all love Peter, right? Get thee behind me, Satan Peter, right? Or King David, or some of the other uh, historical figures. We love them so much is because we saw how they messed up and we saw the grace that the Lord had for them. 
And it wasn't just a little bit of grace. It was like, let's bring in the truck, and it's going beep, beep. You know, I mean, it's ready to come and just dump, you know, dump that grace all on them. God's grace is sufficient for us, mistakes and all. We get this thing going where we feel like we have to be perfect, and it prevents us from being real with each other, and it hurts us. Prevents us from being honest, and it prevents us from helping each other. Reality for me is I have these perfectionist tendencies, and I, always, I will always push myself. I will. It's just how it is. But I have to learn that sometimes good enough is good enough. Sometimes you have to, just, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to complete everything that I wanted to complete if it all had to be perfect. That's just reality. I wouldn't get anything done if I stayed in that mode. But I have to learn to control the perfectionist ways. Sometimes the job needs to be done well. And there's other times when, you know what? That'll work. For now, Paul says, I train. I work hard at it. But I know I'm not perfect because I can't be. You know, I, we'll move on from that, but I do want to say the word perfection, perfectionism, perfect. They're all over the Word of God. And one thing I've noticed is that God uses us to perfect other people. Does that make sense? You know, like, you know, the verse of men, iron sharpening iron that we like to use for men's ministry and stuff like that? That's what I'm talking about. God uses me to perfect you, and God uses you to perfect me when we hold each other accountable and we're honest. This is why we need to get to know each other. This is why. Well, in Colossians 3.14, it says, and over all these virtues, he listed a whole bunch of virtues before this, okay? And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. We must learn to love each other. We must learn how to help each other out because this binds us together in unity. Does that mean we agree on every little thing? No, we're not going to agree on every little thing because I have my perfectionism, you have your perfectionism, and we're going to be different. That's okay. But the unity binds us together to a point where we actually get to the, to the point where we love each other and we put up with each other's mistakes. That's what marriage does, right? That's what a good marriage does. I put up with my mistakes. I mean, Lisa puts up with my mistakes, and Lisa doesn't have any. So, you know, I mean... <laughs> Uh, you ever help somebody out of anger? You ever tried to help somebody out of anger? Does it ever work? Well, you just need to do it this way. You need to listen to me. How do they respond? Yeah, you understand. You know it's not just going to happen, you know. But when it's done out of love, it really shows that you care about somebody, doesn't it? 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. 
1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love because love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And we've talked about the word perfect again. Uh, I just, side note here, it means maturing. It doesn't mean without fault. It means maturing. It's very interesting how we handle salvation, ultimate freedom. Jesus calls us, we respond on that calling, and the Holy Spirit basically drags us to Jesus, and we finally realize, wow, my life is worth something, something more because I now believe in God. He died on the cross for my sins. My life is now worth something, and, I, and, and then for some reason we spend the rest of our lives trying to be perfect. It's not going to happen that way. The rest of our lives is trying to please God out of our love for him. That's why we try to be perfect. That's why we try to be mature in our walk with the Lord. We make a mistake, we go back over it, and we keep going, right? Because we're trying to please our Lord. The Lord says, you know what? You just need to relax. You need to back off a little bit. Because I'm the one that's perfecting you. I am the author, and I am the finisher, he says. I looked up the word perfect in a couple of different dictionaries, and you know, in our our way of thinking, it means absolute, or pure, or unmixed, you know, accurate, exact, or correct in every detail, entirely without flaws, defects, or shortcomings. Another one said excellent or complete, beyond practical theoretical improvement, not unmitigated, exactly fitting the need in a certain situation or for a certain purpose proficient. We cannot attain that, but we can attain what God is talking about, which is the maturing in him. We cannot be the perfect Christian. And if we take Jesus's words in Matthew 5, what does he tell the disciples? He tells them, be perfect because I am perfect. And then the rest of Matthew, ironically, he deals with the guys that keep messing up. And he's talking about maturing. He's not talking about being perfect. If you took the definition of perfect and applied it to my life, there's no way I could make it. So I'm trying to figure this out, and I had to go back to the Greek. Like I said, it means that maturity idea. It means completeness or wholeness. In, in uh, Paul says in verse 15, all of us who are mature, perfect, complete, all of us who are mature should take such view of things. What it means is when other people look at you, they look and say, wow, that person is more mature in their life right now. Yeah, things happen, but they, they pretty much, they're okay. They keep moving forward. They, keep, they have maturity that's there. It doesn't mean without faults or pure or absolute or unmitigated or excellent, but it does mean that they can see us growing in Jesus, and that's what's important. We keep growing toward wholeness. And that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about us being perfect and, and, and wanting to, to attain and keep going toward this wholeness. This is why people who walk with Jesus, who walked with the Lord for years, aren't those that exhibit a lot of emotions, you know, emotional problems. Why? Because we're growing toward wholeness. 
They go towards stability in our walk with Jesus, and this is so important. People turn around and, and look at us, and they, or they see a mature person, they say, how do they get there? Or we may get to a point point. we turn around and we go, how did I get here? And it's one step at a time in our walk with Jesus. We don't take big leaps. We were up, and Brandon decided to, to jump over this. this uh, they had this uh, trough of water coming down uh, in the gold country. You know, water is very important for them back then, too. Well, it's important for us nowadays, too. But when they were going after gold, you had to have water to, to get the gold. So they, they literally made this trough so the water could come down from the mountains. And, and Brandon jumped over it. And Grayson looks up, and he goes, can I jump over it? And we were like, no, 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 no. Not yet. You're not ready for that big leap. Sometimes in our walk with God, we are not ready for that big leap, but it wasn't a big leap. I mean, but it, with, Jason, uh, with Grayson being so small, if he'd messed, he was just going to nail the rocks and go down, you know, and we didn't want that either, you know? But sometimes... We're not ready, and it's one step at a time in our, our walk with the Lord. But, you know, the Lord may come along and say, as you're walking, that part of you, Alan, I need to take that part out. That part really doesn't belong. All it's doing, doing is causing you problems. We actually see the disciples on this path in Matthew 5 as I mentioned earlier. He says, be perfect. And the rest of Matthew, you see how they mess, just messing up with the followers. On one hand, you kind of look at the scriptures and, and go, Jesus, what, what are you doing, especially with these guys? I mean, these 12 guys, they messed up so much. On the other hand, it's very comforting to know that when they messed up, he kept loving them. When we mess up, Jesus keeps loving us. And sometimes he may even laugh and just go, come on. Okay, Alan, let me show you. And he corrects me. And he helps us, all, uh, helps us out along the way. But the main point is he keeps loving us. He didn't shoot the disciples down with lightning bolts. I would have. Wouldn't you have had? I mean, some of the stuff that they pulled... I mean, if I was like Jesus, I would have been like, Peter, I am tired of this. You are gone. You're out. You know what? He's dead. And there goes a the lightning bolt. Boom. But instead, he loved me to the point where he went to death for me. One of the last conversations that Jesus had with Peter was on the beach. And they were trying to fish. They didn't catch anything. And he tells them, throw out the nets on the other side. And they drag in all these fish. And, and, and Peter recognized Christ at that point. And they sat down, and they were eating breakfast. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he says, of course I do. No, 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 no. Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, Jesus, I love you. And he goes, no, 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 no. Peter, do you really love me? Of course I do. And he says, then go and make disciples. Jesus is taking us through this process of maturity so we can make disciples. So who is your disciple? When you're maturing in your walk with the Lord, when you allow Jesus to work in your life, you're becoming perfect, you're becoming more mature, 
the perfection you'll never attain here on earth, but the maturing part, the understanding part of the Lord, as you get into the word, and you go, how would the Lord handle this situation? And that is so important. How would the Lord want you to to do this? And by Webster's Dictionary, you're not perfect, but by Jesus' definition, which definition do you want to choose here? You are. You're perfecting. You're, You're maturing. By Jesus' definition, you're being completed. And as we study the Lord through his word, as we begin to, to complete, uh, you know, he completes us over the years, you and I become more like Jesus. And if we study his word, we allow him to, to take over our lives, and we start to live up to that which we have already attained. As Paul says, we start to live up. We actually attain perfection in heaven because when we get there, he's made us perfect and we start to live up uh, to that as we mature here on this earth. Now, I don't want my perfectionism, the, the tendencies that I have to get in the way of ministry. I don't want it to prevent me from doing things, but at the same time, I want to do things well. There's a fine line in that, Right? This fine line in, in the way we do ministry together and how we love each other as we mature. And that's the key to Christianity. The key is figuring out what would Jesus want me to do in this situation? How would Jesus want me to live in this area of my life? Because maybe I'm more mature in this area, but this area needs a little work. What does Jesus want to do there? Once I go, okay, I figured out this part, but this little part over here I need to work on. What would Jesus want me me to do? How does Jesus want me to live with this person? How does he want me to treat them? Hmm. Sometimes we run across a person, we're sitting there going, I really don't want to love that person right now. (laughs) Oh, man, I don't want to love that person right now. But does Jesus want me to love them? You know, sometimes it's a strong hand of discipline. Sometimes it's just letting go and shutting up and walking away. How does Jesus want us to handle life situations? Because others are out there watching. I don't like the feeling of somebody looking over my shoulder. And my family can attest to this. They come up and they're crowding me behind. I'm just like, get away from my back. I don't like it. But we have to be careful because people are watching us out in the world. It's like they're looking over our shoulders. We can't be perfect, but we can be mature and complete in the Lord when we allow him to change our lives. And that is the key. Well, why don't you stand and we're going to pray, and the worship team's going to come lead us out in one last song. Lord, so many times we don't do ministry, don't do the things that you want us to do because we're too afraid. We're afraid of not doing something right or we're afraid that we're going to say something wrong. But Lord, we pray that as we perfect, as we mature in you, that we allow you to work in our lives and outside of our lives. Lead us down a path of of being an influence on this world instead of worrying about what people are are saying or doing or watching, that we we just react with love. 
and grace and mercy and peace and all the things that are of you, Lord, that they would be influenced by that, that we allow you to be the influencer and not too, too much worry about our, us and our own personality. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he bless you this week as he matures you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.